There we go. I'm going to invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats as we continue our teaching time this morning. And if you missed us last weekend, you missed a wonderfully eventful Sunday morning. Uh, We got word of smoke in the building just as we got through our first uh, opening songs. And so we evacuated the facility and we huddled up under the picnic shelter and uh, had a little bit of an abbreviated get-together last Sunday morning while the firefighters did their work. And it turns out it was this whole confluence of circumstances. An exhaust fan seized and uh, had produced some smoke in the dressing rooms, uh, but it, uh, the sensor didn't pick it up because it's an outflow, not an inflow, and so all kinds of stuff like that. The wind was blowing perfectly to push the electrical smoke back in. So the bad news is that you missed out on Jared Crosley's second song set, and it was fantastic song set. You would have really loved and appreciated it um, next, last weekend. Uh, and the good news is, is that you only heard part of my message from last weekend, And uh, the part that you heard was on how not to pray. And so now today you can hear the rest of it on how to pray. Maybe some helpful suggestions on on that regard when you're at the end of your rope. So we are uh, in a teaching series on the book of Jonah, which is a uh, short book, four chapters, in the Old Testament. And you might remember, if you know a little bit about the story and the history of Jonah and from Pastor Keith's message two weekends ago, that Jonah is a very, very reluctant messenger who receives what we might call uh, an evangelistic assignment from God in chapter 1. He's to go and tell the people of Nineveh to repent. And instead of saying yes to God, or instead of maybe even saying a polite, no, thank you, God, I have a better idea, he runs away. And he runs hard. He runs in completely the opposite direction of where God instructs him to go. And he runs down uh, to the port city and boards a ship heading for Tarshish, which is completely about as far away uh, from God's assignment for him as he can get. And his, his thinking, it says in chapter 1, is that he is hoping to escape God. Now, the Lord, uh, nothing's ever hidden from God. This is hidden from Jonah, however. So uh, God sends a powerful storm on the sea that threatens to break up the ship. And the sailors and the captain panic in chapter 1. And they decide that the gods must be angry and that it must be Jonah's fault. And eventually Jonah fesses up and says, yeah, it kind of is my fault. I'm running away from God. He gave me something to do and I said no to it. And he tells them this, and the sailors think, okay, well, what we'll try to do then is we'll try to outrow this storm. And uh, they try it, and they try it, and then they decide, Jonah's suggestion is throw me over. And they say, that's not a good suggestion. We don't want to fill out all of the paperwork that would result in us having to throw somebody overboard. Uh, But Jonah, eventually, for some bizarre reason, Jonah's logic prevails, and they decide that they are going to throw him overboard And they hurl him into the raging sea. And at the end of chapter 1, when they do that, the storm stops. Like, instantly stops. And so we pick up our narrative, uh, of which there's only two verses. The last verse of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, which in the ancient Hebrew text was actually arranged as the first verse of chapter 2. And then the last verse 
of chapter 2. So those are only the only kind of narrative pieces. And then in between, we have all of chapter 2 is a prayer, and almost like a psalm uh, in its resonance and the similarity between other ancient liturgies. So as we read it, I want you to ask yourself, why in the world would you take 25% of a book to record Jonah's prayer? What are we supposed to pay attention to here? Because this is the part of his story that often gets skipped over. We kind of go with, oh, the sailors and then the big fish and all those things. But why then did Jonah's prayer get recorded and what's significant about it for our own lives? What are we supposed to learn about prayer from Jonah? So I'm going to read from the first and the last sections uh, from the New Living Translation, and then the rest you can find either on your smartphone with uversion.com, or you can uh, head over to the Welcome Center and grab a Bible. There's copies available there for you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, a personal Bible, that we would love for you to just take that home with you. That's our gift to you. And if there's anything we can do to help you get in touch uh, with and learning a little bit more about the Bible, uh, it would be our great privilege to do so. So I'm reading from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and says this, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish, and he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down into the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, Lord, you've driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more to your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all of God's mercies. But I, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows for salvation. My salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. It's intriguing to me that when you read through the story of Jonah the thing that gets made the most about is the big fish. The big fish gets mentioned three times only in, 30, in 48 verses. And in order to understand the point of Jonah chapter 2, we have to get past all of the arguments about whether it was a whale or not a whale, all of the historical examples, and there are some of could a person even live for three days and three nights in the belly of a giant fish. The thing that's intriguing to me about Jonah is that the story actually even continues past Jonah chapter 1, verse 16. Because once the sailors throw Jonah overboard, if I was writing the story, that's where I would stop it. Jonah's in the drink. It finishes with a nice little morality tale for us then about how bad of an idea it is to disobey God. End of story. But then we miss Jonah's prayer 
and the heart that comes through in Jonah's prayer. And I love Jonah's prayer because I see a lot of myself in it. In Jonah's prayer, I see somebody who's sometimes reluctant to come to terms with what God is saying to them. And I see um, Jonah trying to wake up to this notion that God is always working in his life and all around him. And at the end of his rope, in the darkness, in this very stinky reality, at the bottom of the sea, nowhere else to run, nowhere else to hide, no human way to rescue himself, finally God has Jonah's attention. I almost feel as if um, like there's like a t-shirt, you know, that Jonah would be wearing, which is like uh, God saying to Jonah, can you hear me now, Jonah? How's, how's the reception down there at the bottom of the ocean? I love the way that the poet, uh, Lord Aldous Huxley, paints the scene with imagination. He says this, seated Upon the convex mound of one vast kidney, Jonah prays and sings canticles and hymns, making the hollow vault resound God's goodness and mysterious ways till the great fish spouts music as he swims. Jonah's prayer is a prayer for all of us. It's particularly a prayer for those who feel like they're going under. It's particularly resonant for those who have walked through or are walking through some deep waters because Jonah's prayer has this resonance of crisis to it. And, and for those of us who have been in situations where you feel like you're at the end of your rope or almost at the end of your rope, Jonah's prayer is a nudge in a few helpful directions. So let's look together at the point of Jonah's prayer, the things that he's really driving at in his prayer. First thing about Jonah's prayer that's very interesting is how little of Jonah's prayer actually is about Jonah and how much of Jonah's prayer is about God and what God is doing in this situation. And Jonah is reminded of the fact that God is always listening. Jonah's experience is teaching him this. Three times in his prayer, Jonah mentions God heard him. I cried to you on my great trouble and you answered me. I called to you, Lord, and you heard me. I spoke with you from the depths of my situation. And I'm struck by the, re- the, the reminder that God is always listening, ready to answer prayer. God may not always answer how you or I anticipate or want him to answer our prayers. He may not always respond to my demands, but that he hears them is profound. Even when I pray seated on the convex mound of a vast kidney. The scriptures remind us over and over and over again, God is near to those who, who call on him. His ear is open and listening and attentive to your cries. God is always listening, ready to hear. Not only does Jonah 
learn this in his experience as God nudges him towards this reality. But the second nudge that Jonah receives is a reminder that God is always present. I love verse 4 where Jonah says, Oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Now, if I'm God and I'm listening to Jonah's prayer, this might be about the time that I remind Jonah that it was his choice to run away from me. Or that he was the one who came up with this decidedly ridiculous idea that he be thrown into the ocean. Jonah saying, oh, I, I, God, you have just driven me away from, from you. I just feel in some ways distance from you. Um, but I love the way Psalm 139 verse 7 to 12 puts it. The writer of Psalm 139 says, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from God's presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, the light around me to become night, but not even in the darkness can I hide from you. Seated on the convexed mound of one vast kidney, Jonah's beginning to learn yet again that nothing in his life is beyond the reach of Almighty God. The very idea that you could create a situation in your life that God was unaware of, that you could remove yourself so far and so distant from God's presence that he would not know where you are is foolish. But sometimes... We live our lives or parts of our lives like this, don't we? We act as if God doesn't know about secret sins or parts of our lives that we hide very well from others. We can tell ourselves that at times in our past that were hurtful or decidedly tragic for us, that God wasn't present or part of those times. But this just isn't true. When we think like this, we ignore the lavishness and the richness of God's grace. We forget that even in our weakness, even in our darkest places, even in our sin, God is present. And verse 8 reminds us that he's ready to forgive and he's ready to extend mercy to us. Don't turn your back on all of God's mercies. The third nudge that Jonah is awakening to in his prayer, as God nudges him and nudges us, is the reminder that God alone rescues and saves. And this, I don't know, for you, this for me is the trickiest nudge to wrap my mind around, and I need to be reminded of it so frequently, because to me, this is an intriguing lesson on how futile it is to bargain with God in prayer. I don't know about how your prayers sometimes go, but sometimes I, when I find myself in a situation, I find myself praying something like, God, if you will only do this for me, then I promise that I will do this for you. If you get me out of this situation, then I promise that I will never do that again. Or, um, God, if you uh, help me win the lottery, I promise that I would give money to charity. 
Or, or uh, God, if you got me out of this financial mess that I've gotten myself into, I would totally start tithing then. Or, um, God, if you bring the prodigal in my family home, then I would, I would totally attend church every weekend. Or, God, if you heal me physically, then I'll give the rest of my life to serve you in China. But it's intriguing to me that this language is conspicuously absent from Jonah's conversation with God here. We don't know when it was that Jonah prayed this prayer. Day one, night one, day one, day two, night two, day three. Text doesn't tell us. But the text does tell us that Jonah was in there for three days and three nights. And I can't imagine he waited until day three to start praying and asking God for help. So whenever he prayed this particular prayer, imagine with me Jonah finishes his prayer in verse 9. He says, yes, Lord, I realize you alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift me from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. You belong the highest praise. Amen. And nothing happens. No booming voice from heaven. No mystical vision of Jesus coming to Jonah and saying, do not be afraid, Jonah. Jonah is in the same damned situation when he said amen as when he started praying. So what's changed? Because the tone of his prayer definitely changes as he comes to the end. Nothing in his situation has changed at all. But everything about Jonah's orientation to his situation has changed. Because the story of Jonah's life to date is the story of a person who has made his own way in the world and who does not need God's help for anything. It's the story of a person who is keeping God as distant as he can and who's running away from God. But Jonah has a change of heart, not a change of circumstances. He's still covered in seaweed and bile. But he's come in his place to affirm that when life falls apart, God is still a very present help. And as Psalm 16 says, a refuge in times of trouble. Jonah's learning that God alone rescues and saves. And I don't know what your situation is like today. You may be in a situation where things on the outside look pretty good, but inside you know things are falling apart. Might be a relationship, might be an addiction, might be in an area of hidden sin that has mastery over you in the realm of sexuality or greed or an unhealthy desire for control in your life and over other people. And people might look at you and they might think, I don't know, they seem like a pretty normal, well-adjusted person. But they might not be able to tell that inside there might be a storm raging today. But God knows. You can't hide it from Him. And He wants to remind you today that you will not get through this on your own. Verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord alone. Don't bargain with God. Just get ruthlessly honest with yourself and with him. 
and maybe with the trusted friends. And your circumstances might not instantly change, but your perspective on what you're facing might begin to see some adjustment. Because you might try stopping solving it all on your own and calling out to God to be your hope and salvation and refuge. Because the problem that, that I have, and I don't know if you share this experience at all, but my problem is when I get into a situation in my life, I immediately, my mind begins to whirl with all the situation, all, the, all of the solutions to this potential situation. Well, oh, I think we should do this, or maybe we'll try this, or we'll go after that. That might be helpful. And we'll do this, and we'll do that. And I try them all, and I run down the, oh, it's not really working, and I try this out, and it's not really working. And finally, after trying and spinning my wheels again and again and again and again and again, somebody will say to me, Brad, have you thought about praying about that at all? And I think, mm, no, actually I haven't. Sometimes we just try so hard to try and fix or resolve things on our own and in our own strength. And God's invitation is, you you want to come talk to me about that? I would love to provide a refuge in time of trouble for you. I think the challenge for me that I face is, I think that in order for me to talk to God or someone else about it, in my life, it has to be like a really, really big deal. So if it's just like a little thing, I'll try to solve that on my own. And then if it's a really, really big deal, then maybe that would be a good time to invite somebody you know, else into the situation. Or maybe I should pray about it if it's a really, really big deal. I think the problem, though, happens in those situations is that knowingly or unknowingly, we're treating prayer and treating a relationship with God as a last resort. Just like Jonah is doing. Don't worry, God, I got this. I got this all on my own. And we keep God as much of a distance as we can. And then finally, when we get to the bottom of all of our resources and the end of our rope, we say, all right, fine. All right, God, I might let you help me a little bit with this. And I think that bleeds into a couple of different scenarios, not only personally in our own lives. I think it evidences itself in a corporate setting, in a church community, a faith community, where you kind of think, well, you know, in my my life group, or uh, I've got a friendship with a few people around here, I'll talk to them about little stuff, and maybe we'll, but, you know, if it's not a big deal, I'm not going to ask them to pray for me about it. Like, or people that go for prayer on a Sunday morning, boy, they must have huge issues in their life. If they need to go to the front for prayer, like that must be like, I don't even know how big of an issue. Wow, they, they must have something really going on in their life in order to actually go for prayer. But it's, that's a way of us telling ourselves, we don't really need you, God. Um, we'll just figure this stuff out on our own, and we don't need to express any dependency on you in any way. Prayer will be our last resort for just big issues. I come up against this challenge in my own life and work hard against it. I think to myself, you know, sometimes wouldn't it be nice if I didn't just cry out to God when I'm at the end of my rope? You don't have to be at the end of your rope in order to call out on God. In Jonah's case, he was literally at his lowest 
point. He had descended to the very depths of the grave, stooding at death's door, and then, chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah called out on God. But if you look carefully at this text, and chapter 1 in particular, the belly of the fish was not the first time that Jonah had opportunity and invitation to pray in this story. There's actually three times in chapter 1 where Jonah had opportunity to pray. There's three precursors to Jonah's prayer. At the very beginning of the book, God speaks to Jonah. And if anything, if prayer is anything, it's a conversation where God invites us to pay attention to something that he wants us to notice. Through the course of this series, we're using the word nudge to refer to that to indicate God's gentle call to you and I in the midst of daily life, to pay attention to something. So at the beginning of chapter 1, God comes to Jonah, gave him an assignment, a nudge. Jonah knows clearly what his marching orders were because he wrote them down in verse 2 of chapter 1, but he chooses again to willfully disregard them. So I ask myself and, and you the question this morning, if God spoke, has spoken to you about something, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to divine instructions? Nudges that are coming your way from God. Some of you have something that you know that God has spoken to you about and that God has asked you to do and you still haven't done it. The encouragement of Jonah chapter 1 and 2 is do it before you get to the end of your rope. The second precursor prayer to Jonah's extended prayer is when the captain speaks to Jonah in chapter 1, verse 6. The captain specifically says, Jonah, please pray and ask your God to pay attention to those on this boat and spare our lives. That would have been a good time for Jonah to pray. Would have been a good time for Jonah to fess up. He doesn't do either of those things. Then it falls to the crew having to cast lots to see him. When finally it falls to Jonah, he comes clean and says, all right, fine. I'm the one that you should be angry with. Part of prayer is learning to be honest with God and with others, taking responsibility for your actions, saying, God, I messed up. God, I need your help. Are you willing to take some responsibilities? If I have a friend or a spouse that brings some character flaw to my attention, the easiest thing to do is kind of disregard it as opposed to receiving it and taking it to God and asking him about it for his perspective and assistance in this area of our life, whether it's anger or the way that you speak to others around you. Jonah had an invitation to a prayer meeting, but when he showed up, he shut up until he was forced to come clean and make a public confession of his actions. The final and maybe to me the most intriguing prayer that happens in this text is the very end of Jonah chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where it says, The sailors picked Jonah up and they threw him in the raging sea. The storm stopped at once. And the sailors were so awestruck by the Lord's great power that they offered him a sacrifice and that they vowed to serve him. The sailors decided that based on God's miraculous movement and saving work in their lives, that prayer would be a good idea. 
And here the concept, again, is of nudge is not so much even how God is nudging us, but how we are nudging others. The question that ought to consume us and come to our minds, and we'll be talking about it tonight at Vision Night, is what does my life and the life of our community here at Jericho Ridge bear witness to? In Jonah's case, he fessed up that he was a follower of the true and living God, But if his life lacked a demonstration of God's power, then again, the story could have ended there. But Jonah's words and his experience then to the sailors demonstrated God's mighty power, so much so that in the sailors' mind, how Jonah dies, because they don't see him again from this, how Jonah dies becomes a powerful evangelistic witness. The sailors actually decide to serve Jonah's God based on, on God's miraculous intervention in saving them. And so as we move into a time of prayer, I want you to ask, as I ask myself, does my life and my faith and my prayers, do they stir up faith in others? As the worship and song team is coming, we're going to spend an extended time responding to God and responding to one another in communion. And the songs that we're going to sing speak of a heart and a desire to find help and hope and refuge in God alone. And the prayer team's going to be available at the front, just on the opposite sides of the communion tables and stations. And I want to remind you that when people come for prayer, that this is not because somehow that we're at the end of our rope. It's because when you express And come for prayer, it's a simple recognition of saying, you know what? I'm expressing faith in the same conclusion that Jonah came to. Sure, I could keep white-knuckling this situation and inventing situations and things that I could try and do to get through it, but why? When God is saying, I'm present, I'm here, I want to speak to your life in this situation today, help comes from the Lord. Some of you have never come forward for prayer in a public setting before. And so I want to just give you a word about how it works here at Jericho Ridge. We have people that are at the front and they're known and trusted members of the Jericho Ridge community and they care deeply about you and they want to listen to what you want to pray about and and invite them to pray for you about. And their job is to listen to God and see what God might be saying to you in this situation and pray in faith as they stand with you. And so because of the nature of some of those conversations, If you're a couple, you might want to seek out another couple that's at the front for prayer. If you're a woman, you might want to seek out another woman to pray with or a team of women to pray with. And there's nothing super special or holy about these people that are at the front. If there's friends around you that you know and they know your situation, you want to invite them to just huddle up and pray for you, please feel very, very free uh, to do that. But don't just make prayer a last resort. Make prayer a regular part of your experience and your expression of faith and your own daily rhythms. So let's pray with me. And would you stand with me as we pray and as we invite God to continue to do a work in our hearts. Father, we stand here as grateful recipients of your grace. The grace that you have given to us in Jesus by sending your Son, the grace that you have given us to walk 
as people uh, who can call out to you, to whom you uh, bend your ear down and listen to the cry of our hearts, Father. And so I thank you that you hear us. I thank you that you respond to us and you respond to faith, even if it's just a tiny element of faith. Thank you for the story in the scriptures of the man who was praying for his family and for his son, and he cried out and said, God, I believe. Would you help me in my unbelief? And so I pray for each person here today, Father, whose heart has just the smallest amount of faith. God, would you stir it up in them this morning? even greater measure, Jesus. For people who feel that they're distant from you, God, would you remind them of the closeness, that you are near, that you are here to hear them, to speak words of affirmation and healing into their life in this place today. So, Father, we open ourselves to receive from you by your Spirit. We thank you for uh, the cup of communion that represents your blood that was spilled for us, the bread that represents your body that was broken for us to make a way for us to be in conversation with you so we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. And so, God, we do that here in this place today. We ask that you would again be our source, our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Teach us as you taught Jonah. And we respond in the words of Jonah 2 verse 9 that we will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise for salvation comes from you and from you alone. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we pray. We say amen. Just for